And on today's episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Simon Cousin. Simon is an ex-professional cricket player. He is an absolute mental health champion and genuinely one of the most inspiring and driven people I've ever met. Cricket was my escape. I was thrust into this world where suddenly I'm, I'm touring Australia with the England under-19s and I was 17. I mean, I was really raw, raw potential, but it was definitely not natural. You know, it's not natural to have people watching you all the time. Marcus Truscothic, he was an England cricketer. He paved the way for a lot of sports people because on an England tour, he went home. I'm seven years in recovery for alcohol addiction, you know, and many other addictions. And the question that's been thrown at me many times is, did professional sport cause that? And I decided I was going to drink whiskey every day until I either died or I got it. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. We talk to these people about risk. Risks they've taken in their lives, risks they've taken in their careers, when they paid off and when they didn't. Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Roy, thanks, mate. That's a, that's a really amazing introduction. I really appreciate that. Simon, I'm I'm so excited for this conversation. We've just been outside for the last 10 minutes just going at it. And I'm like, right, right, hold on. Let's just try and get some of this onto the podcast. And I'm I'm, I'm fascinated by your journey. But I want to just... For you know, for a little bit, if that's okay, I want to take it back to you know where this starts for you, um, because I think one of the things that I find really fascinating is the interplay between like elite sports, professional sports, difficulties after that, and, and you know the journey around that. So, if I'm right, you you, you were England um, under 19s when you when you debuted. Um, take us to that moment. You know, where where were you in life at that stage? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I was 17 when I got my first first-class contract with Kent, and it was around the time that I was picked for the England under-19s. Now, I'm a council estate village cricketer plucked from just, like, raw, right, big sideburns, didn't really know who I was, and I had a coach called Paul Farbrace who went on to become the England assistant coach, and he kind of picked me out of obscurity, really. Talent, I think, I bowled fast. And, um, but I was thrust into this world where suddenly I'm, I'm touring Australia with the England under-19s and I was 17. I mean, I was really raw, raw potential. But I, I came back from that and I started to get it. You know, you get in the right environment. And I'm a big believer that you become the sum of who you hang around with. And because I was in that elite environment of training, I pretty quickly, you know, I started training like an elite sports person and eventually started thinking like one um, for a while. But, yeah, that was when I that was around that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and tell me a bit about the you know that that transition into elite mm. sports, you know, because I think elite sports is not something that the body is necessarily or the mind isn't necessarily designed to do, right? No, it's not, and it was a you know it's interesting. We look at if you if I start by the way we look into elite sports, we sometimes forget that they're normal people that you know. For me, I had a really traumatic childhood, and so how often when you're watching the Premier League or you're watching you know the cricket, do you think? Oh, they those guys have issues at home, or you know, it's it's a real there's a real mask there and a veil. Um, and I certainly came into professional sport with, you know, I being so I'm seven years worth mentioning. I'm seven years in recovery for alcohol addiction, you know, and many other addictions. And I, the question that's been thrown at me many times is, did professional sport cause that? Right, and it was it was always no. Actually, it helped me keep that at bay because I had strength and conditioning coaches that would kick my bum if I didn't show up. I had a goal, I was driven, I had, um, sure, when, when when things didn't go well, we drunk alcohol, when things go well, you drink alcohol, but actually the structure kept me safe. I came into it with that. And I think probably the biggest misconception people have, and it's, it's, it's improving massively, is that anyone in the elite spheres, whether it's sport or business, you know, doesn't have childhood trauma mm. or fears or vulnerabilities. And we're, we're, we're in a different world now. This was mid-2000s. You know, the changing room was a le- was a less forgiving place. Sure. Marcus Truscothic, he was an England cricketer. He paved the way for a lot of sports people because on an England tour, he went home and he said, I've got depression. And he was right at the top of his game. And, and even then, the Australian newspapers, I think they blasted him. Mm. And he was the first person and, and he paved the way for a lot of other sports people to go, actually, I struggle. And actually, travelling is really hard. And um, the nature of training isn't conducive to, you know, lifting really heavy weights all the time is not good for the central nervous system which is not good for the mind and you know you learn all these things later on but reflecting in I think it was as 
there was as many there was as many things that have led me that were positive as there were negative around that environment. It was definitely not natural. Mm. You know, it's mm. not natural to have people watching you all the time, and it's not natural to every one of you. I mean, I you know the crowd coming and watching you train, and then just deciding they could verbally abuse you. You know, like yeah. and it's like that's a weird world. Yeah. It's a weird world to be in. But a lot of people are in that world, whether it's in sport or business. So it's it's something we need to understand better, that's for sure. I think especially at that age as well. Oh yeah. If I think my if my actions are under scrutiny at seventeen to nineteen years old, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you right now. No, it's a great point. And I you know, I really who knows who they are when they're seventeen, you know. It, who knows who they are at thirty? Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, it's it's a it's a fascinating thing to think, you know, for me it was it was just a childhood dream that took on its own momentum. But later on in therapy, I, I sort of I sort of worked out that maybe I, w- maybe I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. You know, maybe I was doing it to m- make my dad love me or, you know, maybe, you know, I was doing it to fill a hole that was left in me from childhood. And actually that's exactly what I was doing. Or the main thing for me in my cricket career was I was, it became, it was always my escape. Cricket was my escape in when I was five. It was the escape. It was the thing I was good at. So it was an escape from what I was bad at. You know, it gave me friends, it gave me, um, I was always bigger than everybody else, um, but it was an escape. And then when my sister got cancer at home, when I was a professional cricketer, it was even more of an escape. And, you know, the the worse things became off the field, the more of an escape it became. Um, and there's a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of that in business. There's a lot of people who, it's amazing what someone will create to escape, right? Like yeah. you see some of the most incredibly successful people and we idolize them but actually if you look if you scratch the surface you think that's that's just an elaborate escape from from the intimacy at home or or present moment experience or you know like take a steve jobs i always think of steve jobs you know because i think amazing like incredible person but i always think you know i th- i do think this a lot would i want to be him on my deathbed mm. You know, would I really want to be him mm. on my deathbed? I think about that a lot. Or Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. You know, would I want to be Michael Jordan? I watched the documentary. It was amazing. This guy flew through the air. Like he flew through mm-hmm. the air, did things no human being has ever done before. The level of mentality that he was capable of. But there he is on this documentary with a glass of whiskey. Mm-hmm. And he just, you know, his eyes are red. And you just think... That guy's not sleeping well, and he, yeah. he needs to be competitive all the time. And not to judge him, because this is just from the outside looking in, but it's been a great question for me that I've asked myself afterwards, my career finished, because I thought, maybe it's a good thing I didn't play 100 test matches. You know? Maybe it's a good thing I didn't do that. Maybe it was good that my career finished when I was 21, mm. and I, got, I went and did some other stuff. Because sometimes, you know... You would sometimes I wouldn't wish success on my on my biggest mm. on my biggest enemy mm. because it's so illusory and it's so different from probably what's natural for us. Yeah, I think so many good things, so many interesting points in, in, in what you're saying. I, I always think that as well in terms of, you know, CEOs of massive companies or founders of massive companies and these small decisions that they make, like Zuckerberg, for example. Small decisions yet which impact everything in the world and it's like it's all coming down to this one person's mm. psychology and what they're looking for and how they feel that day and how you know they're trying to escape different things it really is amazing to see how yeah how far people can go on that and i think that as well with elite sport like so i imagine there are a lot of people who are channeling trauma channeling pain into that output and i can imagine rather than you know it being well we don't think of these people in that way because they're elite uh, athletes actually how you know probably as a percentage there are more of them going through serious things which are yeah. channeling into to get into that level than in other parts of society absolutely you know i was uh i'll ask you a question why does superman want to save the world go on go on you gotta have a guess um why does he want to what what motivates superman to save the planet his mother ne- never hugged him <laughs> <laughs> it's something like that right yeah. like so you know i remember asking this to a group of school kids and it was like because he's a good bloke, you know, and it's like, well, yeah. no, actually, his planet was destroyed, mm. right? So he's trying to save the planet, and his planet was destroyed. That's in his DNA. Or the other one was like, why does Batman fight crime? Well, his parents were killed. And these are archetypal stories, right? These are, And they're archetypal because they live inside us. And I, I'm of the fundamental knowing now that pain is an extraordinary driver, way more powerful than pleasure. I had mm. a coach once who got me to tickle my arm. And then he said, feel that. And then he got me to pinch myself. And I pinched. And it was like, well, you know, you get that like. 
And it's like pain focuses the mind and there's nothing wrong with that. And in my, you know, my, my, with my private clients, a lot of them have, they're high performing men. They're struggling. They are suicidal. Some of them depressed, anxious, addicted, and actually they're all driven by pain. Right, it's the pain of failure. Actually, is one of the. Great, I mean, most people think that they love success, but most people just hate failure. The idea that they're going to fail it's actually more of a driver. You know, we we're more driven that. And actually, if we just turn the light on and go, well, what is really driving you? And and usually it's a it's pain. It's and and that's okay. You never try and change it. Just become aware of it, mm. and then you're just bringing awareness to an unconscious driver, which it, it makes life there's more whole and completeness to it. And a lot of people who are I've seen a lot of people become aware and they start a business and then they might move into something more philanthropic and they or they broaden their awareness, they become more aware of their team because they become more aware of themselves. But I would say not many people who are driven come from a light place. Mm. You know, I don't meet high performers, you know, who've had the nest feathered really, yeah. you know. And it's an interesting one to be a father now because it's like, how do I hone that in my children? Well, because it's like, you know. This this is what I wanted to ask you because um, having been through, the, you know, I'm always very open about this, the therapy journey for years and years of my life, mm. medication, off the medication, you know, I've, I've been through this many, many times. And it's always so fascinating to me that it all comes down to pretty much the first three years of my life. Pretty much. Pretty much. You know, yeah. there's obviously environmental factors along the way. There can be trauma along the way, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, at its core, the first three years of a, a, yeah. a human being's life are the most important in terms of setting these things. Oh, absolutely. And most of us are on a lifelong journey to try and repair the work, yeah. you know, the damage done yeah. in a very short period of time. Now, how do you approach that, knowing that in the way that you do? As a father, I know how much you love your kids and that side of it, but how do you... Because I feel like it's almost impossible not to fuck up our kids. Absolutely. In the first three. I've like, already done it. <laughs> I don't I don't see how it can't happen. So is life just this journey of accepting that yeah. we're all going to be fucked up in a certain way Absolutely. and and just being on that journey? Absolutely. I you what you just said there is so true. It's so true. It's well firstly I don't know if you've ever been around children but they kind of have their own will, you know, and it's stronger than anything. I mean, if you've ever tried to argue with a toddler, right? And so the idea that we can create um the idea that I could stop, I mean, my, one of my boys, Jupiter, he's got a really big heart, which means he cries with his whole heart, he laughs with his whole heart. The idea that I could try and make him not like that is, you know, that's I would end up being really controlling. And may, maybe that's where people do go wrong. They try and make their children something not natural. But I, I think that, I mean, you know, we'll go really deep here. I think it comes down to what is, the, what is, what is, a, what is your fundamental philosophy for life? And I know that's a that's a broad, but it's like, why are we here? Right. And you have to ask yourself that question. You know, I, I, I sit with people all the time and all I want to do is, why are we here? What do you think is going to happen when we die? You know, why what happened when, when one of my favorite questions is when did you become you? Right. So like it's oh, a tough one. Yeah, it's a <laughs> tough one. But even just to think like that, like we open our minds up to something broader and, and, and you know, I found a lot of solace in the Buddhist philosophy. I found a lot of empowerment in some of the less churchy Christian, you know, stuff that's not been corrupted, some of the older stuff. And then the Hindus, you know, the yogic culture has given me frameworks for for karma and what it means to come into this, into this life. And I, I would say that that's a big journey, even answering those questions. But one thing it isn't is like, well, my dad screwed me up when I was three, so it's his fault. Right, I've been on. I'm, I've been on that journey, right? Yeah, we all are, right? <clears throat> right. But it's it, and and maybe maybe it's important to blame dad for a while because you have to access those emotions. One of the one of the one, you know, I really needed to blame my dad for a bit because I needed to access the anger so that I could access what was under the anger, which was sadness. And then, so there's 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 relevance and importance in like going on the whole. It's my mum and my dad's fault or my culture, but actually that's just another doorway in and another doorway, and it's more like an onion. You just keep stripping it back you know you keep coming back and eventually you end up with why the bloody hell are we here Roy like what are we doing we're sitting in this padded room but what does it all mean and where are we going and and you know you go on that journey for a while and I think most people should go on that journey ask really big questions yes um and then your pain sort of takes on it's not so much pain it's like an um, inspiration mm. you can transmute your pain into motivation and you know you you yourself you're an incredibly driven very um, aware man because you've lost people mm. you know and you and you've had your own struggles and you you are someone who's transmuting your pain 
into purpose. So it's something like that. It's like most people don't realize they're in pain. So become aware that there's pain, you know, and I certainly in men, you know, I would say that men are really unaware of their pain. Mm -hmm. And then if you're not aware of your pain, you're going to find really crazy ways of escaping it in the form of addictions. Yeah. And if you can't find anything that will help you escape your pain through the form of addiction, you'll go one step further, which will be, you know, to suicide, which is a massive problem. But if you can become aware of your pain and you have a few tools and you, maybe you've got a group of people that you trust and a therapist who can help you just slowly feel that pain, then it begins the process of, of, of transmuting it into, into a form of purpose. And it's as, as, as dense as that pain is, is as how powerful the inspiration is. And when you meet someone who's transmuting it, it's just nothing's going to... That's all I've... That's all me and my wife, Jess. Mm-hmm. 12 steps, recovery, seven years in, you know, we're just really aware of where we've been. You know, Jess has lost her sister. I've lost my sister. We've we've had loved ones die. We've been through addictions. We've been to hell and somehow come back. You know, there's a great quote, which is, um, religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell. Mm-hmm. Spirituality is for people who have been there. Uh, I like that. Right, I like that, yeah. you know. And so, and um, in, 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 in northern Tibet and in the Buddhist... The, the really far Tibetan Buddhist stuff, they love, they revere the peacock. You'll love this. They revere the peacock. And the, they revere the peacock because in Vajrayana Buddhism, which is the transmutation of sort of, so I think like lead to gold or mm-hmm. pain to inspiration or love, they revere the peacock because the peacock only eats the poisonous berries and it makes its plumage. Wow. And that's said to be like the deepest philosophy for life. Wow. It only eats the poisonous berries. And it makes its beautiful plumage. Wow, that's amazing. That's uh, I've never heard that before. Is is that actually true? Is that, yeah. Is that, wow. Yeah. They lo- they revere the pe- pe- peacock. Wow. So it's the symbol of transmutation. It's like, so you know, we've gone deep quite quick here, but it's yeah. like you know, like this, this we're 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 all in pain. Yeah. We're all in pain. Everybody's yeah. in pain. Everybody's running away from something. And one of the so I had have you got. Have, Come across a, a ex-athlete, um, Jack Green. It was a GB. I uh, jumped on Zoom with Jack. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. We had a great chat. Yeah, yeah. great. He lives great. in my hometown, actually. Which oh, really? Is a, yeah, okay, small world. Very small. And me and him had a very interesting conversation where we were talking about for a lot of people who are utilizing their pain for um, drive, for intent. When you have a society which rewards that drive. For example, whether it be building a business, whether it be, you know, a more fierce athlete, whatever it might be. I think a lot of people are scared about dealing with that pain because they're worried about losing that drive. And, you know, Jack was saying that was something he went through, but he was no worse of an athlete by any means once he was dealing with these things. So what would you say to someone who feels like, because I've felt like this before. I'm like, I know I'm dealing with some serious shit, but things seem to be working right now. Mm. They weren't actually. Mm. I was definitely drinking too much and then, you know, probably going down that slippery slope. But what would you say to someone who's in that stage? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And I can relate to that massively. And I think that certainly let's look at, let's look at, let's take, take whatever masculinity means, right? Let's just take that between us as two two people who identify as men. And then we go, the culture the culture's changing right now with regards to what is a man and masculinity. But if we look at the culture 20 years ago, mm-hmm. which was very different from now, and if we look at how the culture, the messaging the culture is and what it's given birth to, right, and we're in we're, we're the teenager of that birthing process, right, and we're, it, maybe it's older than that actually, you know, you think post-war and it is that to be a man you have to be aggressive, right, and or you have to go after things. But then the, the counterpunch has been, Nowadays, too, if you're aggressive, it's toxic. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's a real like pendulum swing between these two things. My yes. big thing that I'm thinking at the moment is about sustainability. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that for me, the, the word sustainability and balance come in. So I look at the whole, the, you know, the word yoga means union, which means whole, which is holistic. And if I look at the whole of a person, so you put a high performer in front of me right now and you go, well, they've got millions in the bank and amazing, like, like changing the world, hiring staff. I go, well, what are their intimate relationships like, right? That's a scary question for it's most of them. It's a scary question, yeah. right? And it's like we, because I just think we need to broaden the aspects that we're judging people on, that's all. So we go like, and then so we start to reveal, you know, like the people I look up to the most, the ones who are running, I I really respect people who run businesses because it's so hard 
you know, the level of, and you need to be relentless and you mm. need to be disciplined and it is a highly competitive environment and it requires you to grow and shape up and especially nowadays because it's more employee-centric, which means if you're a shit leader, people find out very quickly. You can't get away with what you did 20 years ago. Like, you need to change or I'm going to yeah. fire you. It's now like, no, you need to leave me better or I'm going to go to another company, Absolutely. right? So it's a much better world to be in. But now I think I look at those people and I think intimate relationships, um, physical health, you know, emotional health. Like, are you are, do people lead in a way that's emotionally sustainable? Right, so anger's not a sustainable emotion. It, it burns bright, and you know the angry, the angry CEO that could create change in a really short period of time probably is at risk of a heart attack in mm. twenty years. And twenty years is not that long. Mm. And you see that a lot: burnout, stress. So you just take a bigger picture, look at an individual. And I'm my whole view of an individual is, is always to broaden the view. So I get a client come in, high performer in one area, low performer in five areas. And one of the reasons they become a high performer in one area is because they've sacrificed all those five areas. Yep. Right? I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, yep. me too. They've <laughs> sacrificed those other five areas. And so the five areas that I work around are mental health. So mm -hmm. it's mental health, emotional health, physical health, relational health. So, like, that's probably the most important one. Environmental. So that's more like where you live. You know, the, you know I, the connection to nature and things like that. Financial health and um, spiritual health. And the spiritual is more like the sense of meaning. So then you also meet people who are high performers, but they're not spiritually healthy mm. because spiritual health is being connected to a grand, grand, greater purpose than yourself. Um, you're a spiritually healthy person if you give more than you take. You're a spiritually healthy person if you produce more than you consume. And so you take a person, that high performer person, and you just all you've got to do is broaden the view, do a bit of a stock check. And if I'm a, you know, me as a person who's, mm. I would say I'm, I aim to be a high performing person. Mm. I want to perform well, but I need to perform well as a husband, as a father, as a friend, yes, as a son, as a nephew. Mm. Like who thinks about being a high performing nephew? <laughs> I thought about that a year ago. I was like, I'm going to be a really good nephew. Yeah, so I, I rang my that. aunt up and I was like, right, we're going to have a weekly chat. That's great. You know, and I thought, no, this is important. I have a more whole and holistic view of high performance. And maybe I need to take a little edge off. Mm. And maybe that means there'll be a bit less money in the bank. Mm. But maybe that means I get to go on holiday or I get to walk through nature or maybe it means I get to make love to my wife. Yeah. Or maybe it means I get to, because I feel more whole, I'm not going to be looking for external things to fill the void mm. because I am more whole. Yeah, yeah. So I think what we're talking about now is really the convergence of mind, body and soul yeah. in many ways. Absolutely. And I'm... I'm starting to learn so much more about this because it's obviously a phrase we've all heard a million times, mind, body, and soul. And we've probably thought about it in terms of like eating well and all these things, but actually what does it mean and how the three actually interact with each other and how they're so interlinked mm. and that, you know, so, okay, I've got a high-performing mind, therefore the body and soul actually doesn't really, doesn't really <laughs> yeah. I can choose between one of the three. I can pick one of the three, isolate and say, yep. great. But in reality, they're so interlinked that if you're letting yourself down in one of those areas, the other ones are suffering as well. And when you talk about the interplay of nature with all these things, and this is not, you know, fluffy stuff, when you look at the actual um, impact on the body of natural sunlight, for example, mm -hmm. and see that there is nothing that replicates that. Mm -hmm. And actually, that nature is not just something we should be doing, but something <laughs> that we need to be doing. Something we are. It's something that we are. And it, it's really, really fascinating. And one question I've got for you, and this is going super deep and maybe really inaccessible. Let's find out. But <laughs> I, so I've been meditating um, on and off for the last seven years, Brilliant. but been meditating really heavily for the last few months, particularly. And um, trying to do multiple times a day and really just getting into that that part of Beautiful. of my life. And a lot of people use the metaphor of sitting on the side of a river and seeing things go by and, and being a, a passive observer mm. of, of that flow. But there are some people who believe actually, you know, we are the river, mm. right? We are we are not the passive observer, but our experiences, our thoughts actually make up what we're being at that time. What is your view on this part of it? I know this is like the deepest question. I don't know if this is what you're prepared to come in today to <laughs> How long discuss. Have we got? <laughs> probably not enough time oh to God, answer that. I haven't had a drink in seven yeah. years. You know, I can't do one minute. If I do a podcast with you, I need a glass of whiskey. Um, right. That's an extraordinarily deep way of looking at things and really 
like you're getting to the source of life right there. And so in what I understand through my own meditation practice is that there are two aspects to the life, right? So you have masculine and feminine. So masculine with regards to this is Taoist, um, but a bit across culture, across, um, you know, religious thought, but not religion as we know it. Sure. The masculine part of this moment is the part that is observing the moment. So think infinite awareness is the part of me that is aware. The feminine part of this moment is the part that is moving. So it is the light and the sound of this moment. And so when the awareness is aware of what is moving, that is a whole moment. So this moment is only made of two things, that which is still and that which is moving. Mm -hmm. So the universe is made of stillness and movement, right? So in the Hindu tradition, Shiva, I am, I am. Okay, so that's the passive awareness. Shakti, or all the or all the ten million feminine deities that there are, is the dancing movement of the moment, right? And there's a reason in the Hindu tradition that the feminine has ten million names and the masculine only has one. Wow. Because all that moves, think about the many, many forms. And there are ferocious feminine deities because there's fire in its nature, right? So but my wife's guru, Lama Lina, talks about the yoga of dancing stillness. Mm-hmm. Right, you'll like that. The yoga of dancing stillness. Union, yoga, yuga, which means union, is the union of masculine and feminine. So it's when presence and movement meet each other. And that's when you know you're in alignment, right? So you know that you're doing, it's called your dharma in Buddhist, right? So you know you're in your dharma when there is no separation between mm. what is awareness and what is moving. So if you make love and, and, you're, and you're in your heart and it's that, that's the union, that is the, the sex of this moment. So if you're, you know this because you would have had these moments, that's the flow yeah. or the zone. So the, the ultimate attainment of meditation is to merge which is yoga, right? But but in the yogic tradition, that you need the body mm-hmm. because the, you need the body's energy systems. You need to be, and you need certain, th- you know, there needs to be for, to attain that. But the thing is, it's <laughs> what's so deep. I love it. I if you attain, if this, you yeah. attain that, you you'll die because you, and you'll die in bliss, and you'll never come back to this hell realm ever again, and you'll attain <laughs> samadhi, and you'll be gone. And so that this is what the yogis are chasing all the time. But right. we can find it in business, and we can find it in love, and we can find it in fatherhood and motherhood, and we can find it in walking. It's basically when, here's a, great, here's a simple way to put it, it's when being and doing meet. Yeah. So it's really simple. But this should be the goal. Yeah, because you know? one of the things that I found with my practice for the longest time until I started understanding this a bit more was the separation Mm. right it's the well actually i don't want to feel my feelings so because sometimes meditation can lead to suppression i found it's like well i'm going through pain i'm going through whatever it is back to the breathing Mm -hmm. you know i don't want to be there with it but actually it's and again it's creating that gap between the observer and the experience whereas actually that's the end point is realizing you know the two are the same absolutely and um you know my my wife is She's extraordinary at this because she's feminine. So she feels more, right? And so the feminine, we, we're really disconnected from the feminine in this culture. It's, high, it's really pretty masculine, not male, masculine in a sense that because we've cut off nature so much and we've tried to chase the things, we've, we've, lost, our, we've lost our touch with nature. And that means our own inner nature, which is you see it most clearly in a child, singing, dancing, playing, Right, like moving. Children are always moving. You never see a child sat still. The movement, our emotions are always moving. And you, and you watch a, you know, my wife will feel and she'll talk about being aware in the feeling. You know, so when we're, when we're emotional, it's like allowing ourselves to feel massive, massive value in men doing this and being in safe spaces to do so. You know, it's not, there's not, you know, I'm not of the belief you should just go into the street and start crying because I don't, I don't think you'll ever feel again if you do that because mm. we're not ready to hold each other like that. But to be able to feel and be aware in the feeling and not be aware and push the feeling away, which is what you're just saying, mm. you know, it's perfect. Yeah. Mm. And tell me, because I'm, I'm fascinated to see what, you know, what you're doing now and, and using the strength that you've amassed throughout that journey and the, you know, the absolute roller coaster that you've been on and now helping as many people as possible. 
Yeah, so it's a it's it was um it's been a you know seven years in recovery. My wife's also seven years in recovery, and we we feel we've been blessed to go on a on a on a different kind of journey, Eastern in nature, and and um, you know, one of the great superpowers is being an addict because you can turn if you I'm in I'm an addict, right? Like I can't keep peanut butter in the house, you know. But but if you can find what I've we've turned our addict in the right direction, I think, and in a sense that we've come home. To the UK, we start a family, and we want to, we just want to help people. And we're looking out into the culture and going, people are really struggling. Like people are really struggling, and it's such basic stuff that people need. Like emotions are temporary. That's like groundbreaking information. Thoughts come and go. <laughs> Don't believe your thoughts. Yeah, right? it's like, one of the it's one of the hardest things to realize. But the most powerful, absolutely, and it takes and it takes practice, mm. and how to develop a practice. And so we, you know, I've been coaching private clients. They're usually high performing men. You know, within you know, I've got a couple of sports people and a few business people and those things. And it's it's really just putting ourselves into the solution as much as we can, and then allowing allowing form to come from that. So we've got some, you know, we're building things slowly. We had a meditation circle this week where we. My wife and I held a group of people, you know, 25 people who want to learn meditation. And it was a, you know, it's a free course. It's not, you know, 300 pounds to yeah. learn how to sit still, which is just ridiculous. Uh. Um, I've got some work with the Premier League and I'm jumping into some of the sports stuff. And just, you know, for me, I'm, I just want to be a part of the solution. And the forms that that take are growing and it's in the form of private coaching. I have a contract with a decent sized global law firm, male partners, High pressure, you know, the, the, we're now the referral point for those guys. And it's, uh, yeah, we're right at the beginning. I mean, like yourself, I've, I still feel like I'm a young man and I, we're allowing this thing to grow. I think the big thing for us at home is, and I've sort of had this moment recently, my wife's very good at keeping me on the straight and narrow with this mm -hmm. one, is could run around the culture helping people and then create two mental health issues in my children. That's the big thing, right? So yeah. balancing it with, and, and develop, and continuing to, to just practice because... You know, I, th I still think it's a very shiny world. You know, I, I saw Watch the Shine. It's very shiny mm. and it's very attractive, you know, and, and I watch the ideas in my head and I think actually one of the best things I know is it's never as good when you get there. Mm -hmm. You'd know that. Mm -hmm. right? You would definitely know that. And the people you surround yourself with would know that. Yeah. That's a very powerful message that needs to be given out a lot. Yes. You know, that, that if there was a message that needs to go out into the culture, then it would be a message from highly successful people going, it's nowhere near as good as you think. Right, that, there's a, there's a, it's nowhere near as good as you think yeah. I'm still the same person I, I, I'm still, I still worry about things And you're doing that really well It's one of the reasons I really like you Is because you've, you've been very successful in business But you're using your success in business To push that message And you'll be, you're very vulnerable And you're very open And it's, it's extraordinary You know, Men like you and women who are doing the same thing they'll lead, They're leading the culture now yeah, I, I mean, it's something I'm so passionate about. And again, I think why we've clicked so much is because it's so important. To, uh, and it's, it's funny, the podcast, in a very different angle, the podcast I was doing before this, um, one, it helps to see it. When you see it, you can believe it, and you can believe that you can be more whole, more vulnerable, whatever it might be, and it not preclude you from at least for success in business, whatever it might be. So that's one. But but the other one as well, um, and it's so funny because... I was literally saying this in the last podcast is part of having access to people who have been incredibly successful, uh, who are incredibly wealthy. Some are good, very good friends, unicorn founders, for example, yeah. you know, worth hundreds of millions of pounds now. And it's like, okay, but getting access to them and seeing the other side mm. and seeing, okay, no, 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 this has not solved any of their problems no. in some cases exacerbated Absolutely. a lot of their problems. And when you, you know, when you're fortunate enough to, to see through the needle in that, in that sense, then you can say, do you know what? I don't need to spend all of my time chasing a life that I've been sold because I've seen what's on the other side of it. And it's not necessarily fulfillment. And some of the most fulfilled people I know are definitely not living that sort of life. And when you can realize that and spread that message and say, look, you know, yes, being successful in business might be an amazing thing for you, but it might not. Yeah. You know, you you got to really be true to yourself. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the you know, really questioning what success means. It's a great question. What does it mean to me? There's success, which we've all agreed, you know, unconsciously agreed on this thing called success, but I think it's a personal, you know, and, and it takes time. You know, I don't, I've got a great mentor. I've got a lady called Donna. She's the godmother of our boys and she's phenomenal. She had a business, 
um, pest control business in Australia. She's got a lot of money. And she had a point there, you know, where she could have gone franchised across Australia, become a billionaire probably. And she just said no. She went no because she wanted to keep her life the way it was. And now she has probably just a few million, you know, a few measly million lying around. But she has such an amazing quality of life. And she's been a great person for me to meet, you know. Yeah. She's been a great person for me to meet. And she she helped me also deconstruct a bit of an idea, a bit of a lie I'd been sold, which was that hard work equals money, mm. right? Which isn't necessarily always true, but hard work equals money equals success. Mm-hmm. Or that money equals success. And she helped me deconstruct those. And she always, you know, she works with me on my goals with the business. And she'll go, do you really want that? You know, do you really want that? So now we're toying with the idea of, you know, the solopreneur. This is the new, the solopreneur is the new rise because people are realizing that maybe they don't need 50 million. Yeah. Maybe they, maybe 200 grand a year in the bank is enough money to feed your family and have a great life and mm-hmm. put your kids through school mm-hmm. and actually watch your children grow up. And then you've got remote working that's come in. You know, people have options of now working at home and Zoom. It's so much easier to be at home. I think it's a, it's, we're going through that reframe right now. Yeah. What is success? And then you, on one, on what the other side, you've got Ben Stokes the England captain on Amazon talking about his struggles. And then there's this deconstruction from the idols. You know, our previous idols are those walls are coming down because we're starting to see Mm. them as proper human beings Mm. or like women not going to tennis competitions because it's that time of the month, Mm. you know, and then we go, hang on a second. Does that mean for the last 40 years we've been making women perform? And there's women going, I'm not competing because it's that time of the month. And then you've got the backlash go, Oh, this is obscene. And then everyone's going, of course, you know, so there's a real shift in, like people becoming more human. Yeah, 100%. You know, and success take, you know, success being me, more like meeting my own needs. Yes, absolutely. Rather than becoming something that you like. Yes, totally. And um, again, so many cool things in that. I think one is the reality of most very wealthy people that I know. You know, they're using 3% of their wealth and the other 97% is sitting in a bank making, you know, the establishment, the elites are very, very rich. But it's like, well, if you just shot for that 3% rather than the 100%, oh, do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you're not utilizing most of that. It's just getting you richer and richer, but you actually never really touch that cash. Absolutely. You know, and it's a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, another point is, um, you know, talking about the amount of, the amount of, of exposure industry leaders, athletes are giving now to mental health struggles. You know, Tyson Fury, for example, mm. such amazing experience. Have you seen that that's had a big Im- impact on the way that people are able to access these conversations? Oh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You know, and I, I, I think, you know, I went through a really tough time there when I was, you know, I was in the culture probably just before that. And it, it makes me feel great thinking that I might have been one of the, in the beginning of that movement of it becoming so easy now to... You know, people still don't understand what vulnerability is, and I'm sure there's a few boardrooms around the place could do with a few people being more vulnerable. But I would say that, you know, Tyson Fury, you know, incredible, incredible role model because he's just speaking about how he feels. He's a real person. You know, he's a real person. And um, Ben Stokes is another one. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty common now. Mm. I think I think you know what I think. It, it, politics is next. I'd like politics to become a place soon. Yeah, you know, but I, that's probably a little way away. But sport is leading the way. Yeah, business is probably just just a little bit behind. There'll be a few, you know, to get some truly successful people come out. You're you're doing an amazing job, and and um, but sports done a really good job. I think it's becoming a lot more yeah. of an accessible place. You know, it's um, and it was always like that. You know, I remember sitting in change rooms thinking this is this is bullshit. Really? Oh, I remember thinking, God, this is bullshit. My idols, you know, they're deeply troubled people and i'm thinking this is amazing mm. but also the message is bullshit yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullshit. absolutely just the, the uh, perpetual battle too is to continue to communicate that you know i speak to my wife about this a lot we step up and we pretend we know um and half of that we do know but then really stepping up and in and more like exploring the problem rather than saying well i've got it all sorted mm. you know like mm. um because i'm 37 there's a lot of things i haven't got sorted yet Oh, it's a lifelong journey, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a lifelong, and maybe even a multiple lifetime journey. Getting it into one is going to be tough, right? Get me on the second podcast for that one, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So let me ask you about addiction, because it's it's a topic which fascinates me. It's obviously something which, you know, you've experienced at length, and, and, 
you know, doing so much amazing work and helping others through that. Uh, the more and more I learn about addiction, the more and more I read about addiction, it's becoming painfully clear to me that we are living in a society that is designed to have as many addicts as possible, mm. not necessarily to drugs, to substances, although that too, but to our phones, to social media, to consumerism, to money, all, all the things that we mentioned before. So how do we cure the addiction epidemic in this another short question for you <laughs> another small easy digestible topic but how, how do we how do we cure this addiction epidemic within a society that rewards it at such lengths yeah well that's what i'm working on at the moment because you know we'll we'll build a charity at some point me and whoever else wants to get involved and the charity will be looking at that and I, what I've got so far is, if we just look at addiction from as a problem, let's call it a problem, and it is a problem. Fire is a problem. And the fire brigade approach a problem in, they approach fire in these three ways. Firstly, there's a fire. We need to intervene on the fire. So there's intervention. Then there's the treatment. Oh, shit, there was a fire. So there's treatment. But I think the big thing that the fire brigade are always trying to do is move their resources towards prevention. Right, so there's prevention, intervention, and treatment. I would say we, as a culture, are 99% fixated. We, we've got you know, the grid on the problem, which is, oh, shit, there's a fire, and we haven't got any time to look at prevention. So I think that if there's going to be an answer to this question, it has to be in the prevention. Mm. And that's tough. Mm. That's really tough, because to prevent the problem for the next generation means you're going to have to take resources away from people who are in the problem, right? So that's number one. And I really believe the next generation are where the, we, we need to look at that. Mm. You know, and I would say it's not really, I mean, oh, blimey, it's pretty scary, actually. It's pretty frightening to think. And there's new addictions, gambling, the phones and the social media. I mean, the, the, the feed, the, tip, yeah, the, the TikTokification. Yeah. Every I time know, dopamine hit, dopamine I know we're hit. putting this out on TikTok, so there's a bit of irony <laughs> tinge to, to, to what we're saying here. But, you know, it, it's, it's yeah. changing the way brains are wired. It is. And I, I would say that, there's a, it's, it's got to be a big approach and there's, you know, everything from we need to get back to nature. We need to get back to our breaths. You know, we need the right, some of the wrong messaging needs to be eradicated and like obliterated. You know, there needs to be a, a destructive element to the solution because there's certain things that exist in our culture that just shouldn't be, right? So I'll, I'll mention a few of them. Like pornography and masturbation should just not be something. They should, shouldn't be. There's no healthy aspects to either of those things. There's no culture that's been around healthily that, that promote those two things. Yeah. Now, masturbation is different from pornography, but both of them are pretty unhealthy, right? So there's number one, the food we eat, right? The messaging that we food we eat, but it's so ingrained in the subliminal messaging, that's mm. a big one. The food that we eat, the things that we chase, that it's okay to just, you know, like our culture, we look, there's just a cultural mm. movement of energy that's in the wrong direction, mm. right? We need to come back to, something a little bit simpler yes. and this is one of the reasons you know I, I bring meditation into what i do and i, I think that i'm gonna the dalai lama said if every eight-year-old in the world was taught meditation then violence would be destroyed within one generation right i back that right so meditation gives you the gap between it meditation takes you with practice takes you out of reaction into response and most addictions are a reaction Right, it's a reaction to an it's an unconscious reaction to pain that's unconscious within the body and mind. So, if we can move from reaction into response, then there's a gap, and if we can create a gap, then there's more chance of conscious choice. Yeah, it's still a massive. You, you, you know, I created the gap seven years before I even got into recovery. Yeah, right. Still, but it, but if we can help people have the gap, and I would say there are formative minds that are more receptive to keeping that gap. Mm. Children are that gap, and then we insert. Yeah. the stuff in the way so there's protecting children's minds there's teaching that tool as early as possible um i think the what you're doing you know role model the role modeling is massive the right message is being given out um so it's a bit it's a big thing but i think it comes back to an, a simple understanding of what addiction is and addiction mm. is an escape from pain that's all it is it's an escape from pain so we deal with the pain and then as um gabor mate everyone should know who gabor yeah, mate yeah. is right gabor mate says the, the the attempt to escape pain is what causes more pain, right? So we need to understand pain. We need to be 
There needs to be safe spaces to explore pain. So this is, you know, the rise of therapy, the rise of counselling, the rise of things, the rise of psychedelics in some in mm -hmm. some places as well. There's more of an exploration of our of our uh, unconscious, the collective unconscious, mm -hmm. the darkness. You know, we I'm chucking a lot of ideas out here, but it's a bit it's a big solution. You know, Carl Jung said we shouldn't we shouldn't strive to be good, we should strive to be whole. Yes. You integrate know? the shadow or the shadow will integrate you. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Like you know, and and I look at you know, and then you've got to look at it from a from a perspective of healthy outlets for aggression, you know, like how many repressed I'm going to use men as an example, but men, you know, you can't be, it's, it's, it's tough to be aggressive, but healthy outlets for aggression, you know, maybe it's, maybe sport is that for a lot of people, Yeah. but yeah. that repression aspect of our, of our culture too. Yeah. You know, it wasn't long ago we were running around the fields with sticks, chucking them at animal and hunting and like using our bodies. And, and so there's a, there's a real sort of getting back to our natural state mm. in the form of mind meditation body probably exercise and more primal kinds of exercise not just inside a gym running up and down on a treadmill playing with mates kicking a ball around your yoga is a great one mm -hmm. um spirit is more like you know really connecting to a message of something that's bigger than us mm -hmm. it's so easy now because so the the, the dark, you know carl jung also said what what stretches up to heaven has to stretch down to hell right and one of the beautiful things about this place we find ourselves in now, which is a reason, you know, I think we're in a reasonably darkish place, mm. but it's giving birth to the solution. Mm. You know? And I think the roots of hell that people find themselves in, there's, there's the opportunity to climb out. Yeah. You know? And there are, I mean, you know, one of the things I've always found quite challenging is being in AA and having all these uh, inspiring stories. I go in there and there's people there have been to the darkest places and now they're ascending to the highest heights. And I think, God, the culture needs to start sharing these stories, you know, mm. these really true success stories. Yes. You know, the big success stories. Yes. Not I made a million pounds. They're like, I was in prison because I got drunk and rolled over onto my children. This is a real story. I rolled over onto one of my children and killed them. I spent 30 years in prison because I murdered a person in prison and now I'm out and I've become a judge. That's a real story. Wow. Right? And yeah. there's got to be outlets for these stories. Yes. And the thing is, for as much as everyone wants to present and maybe not always to those extremes, but that they are not going through something. And it's redemption because everyone has got those things that they feel like, you know, it's all relative, right? So regardless of where on an objective level, if you've you know gone to jail, whatever it might be, but everyone has got these things that relatively to them are either causing them shame or pain or regret yeah. or whatever it is. But the idea of redemption and being able to, to go past that is something everyone needs. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I've been playing with something recently, which is the idea of vulnerability as uh, as a means to give other people permission mm. right so if i if i'm here and i'm vulnerable i give you permission to be vulnerable yeah. and i'm i'm working with a couple of i'm working with a law firm at the moment who've got senior leaders right senior leaders not going to be vulnerability and it's like how do you, there's this there's this idea in our culture that vulnerability and leadership go off in two different directions but actually the most incredible show of leadership is to stand up and be vulnerable Yes. Because if, you, if I'm vulnerable in front of a thousand people, 800 people are going to breathe a massive sigh and go, oh my God, thankfully. You know, it's like when you stand up, like one of, if you're someone who always knows, you should stand up in front of everybody and not know. Because all the people that don't know, that feel ashamed for not knowing, will go, oh my God, that person doesn't know. Which means it's all right if I don't know. Yeah. So there's this, there's this like real, I think there's a real need for vulnerability. Yes. That's why, you know, it's why it's so amazing to be here, you know, yeah. what you're doing. It's real need. It's proper leadership. It, it's why I think podcasting is such a great format as well, because it, it is about learning. You know, we're here to learn from each other and, and help hopefully lots of other people learn along the way. We could, speaking of what, we could do this for another 20 hours and, and maybe one day we will. Yeah. Uh, but I've got quite some questions. I'll yes. ask. We, we covered your version of success, which is great. Normally I ask, you know, what does it mean to be successful? Yep. But I think we've done an amazing job of covering that. So I'm going to jump into that. Yep. The other four, as I said, not quick fire or anything. But OK, my first question for you, Simon, is what is the biggest risk that you've taken and what was the outcome? The biggest risk I ever took was to stop trying to get sober and was to kill myself by drinking. Right. And now, and I'll explain that. Someone told me that you should stop avoiding a breakdown because on the other side of the breakdown is a breakthrough. And I've seen this in AA, in AA old school AAs. Someone comes in and they want to get sober, but they're not ready. And the old school AAs will go, go back out there and stop drinking. You haven't had enough yet. And I was trying to get sober for a really long time. And what I didn't realize is I needed to let go. 
And it was a huge risk. Huge risk. And actually, even now, I would say people are in the darkest days of addiction. Most of them, and this is a really, you know, this is a risky thing to even say, right? This is really risky within addiction. They need to do some more. Right? That's even risky to suggest that the heroin addict hasn't had enough heroin or the, or the alcoholic hasn't had enough alcohol. So I let go and I, I tried to commit suicide without alcohol and then I decided I was going to do it through drinking because it was all I could do. And I had a funny feeling that it might work, but it was a pretty big risk because I just drove myself, I quit my job in Australia, I took all the money I had and I drove to a place called Byron Bay in Australia, northern, northern part of Australia. And I decided I was going to drink whiskey every day until I either died or I got it. And I stopped trying to get sober and I decided I was going to drink myself through to the other side. And then, pretty sick, I woke up on the grass one day and I didn't want to drink anymore and I haven't had a drink since. Wow, I haven't had a drink since that day. Since that day, yeah. Wow. So I drank myself through to the other side. Wow. So it's the same with, you know, and I've, I've, had, I've got a sneaky feeling this is a, this is a, this is a way of doing things because it's like the person who's trying to stop, I know a few people have done this, people are trying to lose weight. Mm. Just keep eating. Just keep eating. Eat whatever you want all the time, yes. whenever you want. And eventually, it'll, it'll shift. So, 100%. That's you true. know, we, we, I think of it like this. It's like people want to they, they break through, but they're avoiding the breakdown. You know, so keep going. Keep going. And that was a massive risk. Wow. That was a massive risk. Because I, in a, in a not-so-far-away alternate dimension, I, I was, you know, found dead under a tree in, in, in Byron Bay. Yeah. Probably, you know, a week or two away. But I, I just decided to let go. Wow. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, what, what an amazing answer. Um, yeah, you know, you hear this a lot. You need to hit that rock bottom. You need to hit that that point where the only way to go is up, mm. right? Um, but but fascinating. And, and again, you know, probably so many more of these inspirational stories that I'd love to tease out. But let me let me go on to the, on to the next question. What are you proudest of? Probably my children. But it, it's hard to separate my wife from my children. We went through hell to get those boys. Probably one of the longest, hardest journeys to get, just to get them, for Jess to get pregnant. I'm proud. I'm proud I'm, who am I? Who am I proudest of most is my wife. You know, she's an incredibly strong person who's, what we went through to get pregnant, you know, and just to, after all the addiction and all the recovery, you know, you, you think it's done. And I, I have a real respect for people who go through um, fertility treatments and questions and you try for years and, you know, you have an idea in your head, you think you're going to make love and then have babies. Well, you know, I have two boys now and they are phenomenal. I was going to see, sound like I was going to say f the phenomenal, <laughs> um, incredible boys. And I think that one of the reasons is, is because we feel so grateful to have them, you know, and... Wouldn't have been able to do it with my wife. So my, my family. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing, Simon. That's great. Okay. Anything that you would have done differently? That's a great question. Yeah, I would have taken care of my body earlier. So I think I would have... Momentum sets in later on in life and it becomes harder to break habits. And I would, I think I would have been more conscious of diet and exercise after cricket mm -hmm. because that's now my battle. You know, it's, it's a battle. It's the wrong word. I'm becoming a bit softer around the whole thing, but I think I would have loved to have made those changes 10 years ago. So now, you know, I've, I've invested a lot of time into my mind and emotions and, but I think that I would have loved to have made that change earlier because mm. when you get older, it, it gets harder mm. to go for a run. Yes. It's just what, what an awful thing to do. So it's, I think my biggest regret, what would I've done better earlier would have been, I would have just taken care of myself a bit more, mm. um, you know, and probably just had a few more salads and yeah. well, a bit do, more fresh air. Do you know what? So it's, talk about addiction. For me, like one of the, the biggest ones, it's the food. Mm, massive. I mean, it's, I, I love to eat, right? You know, I'm a big guy, you're a big guy, right? Yeah. Love to eat. But I, the moment that I, I've done diets, done many diets and i've done that to amazing effect i have lost 40 kilos previously wow. put it back on two years later but i i have you know yeah. i i yeah but the moment i stopped looking at a diet 
mm. because a diet has got you know a time limitation on it and mm. you can do amazing things if you know that there's an end in sight mm. right you can do pretty much anything if you know well look this is when it finishes so it's okay but the second that i started looking at like lifestyle change and that this is not going to be a time limit thing but a new way of living life it's like wow i am so addicted to processed foods like the hybrid the sugar yeah, all of that yeah. and it is it's one of the toughest because there you know there is no nothing but celebration of the mcdonald's that you can have the care you know all of these things and i mean for me that is one of the most difficult yeah i would agree with you massively there and who knows what's in the food that's t- toying with the mind at a different on a very deep level i i feel that you know i there's and i it's it's not you can't just stop eating it's not like booze. Yeah, you can't, you can't you abstain. Can't, no, yeah. you can't abstain. So it's, a, it's you know, the, and the longer you go on, the harder it becomes with food. But, uh, you know, I've learned some things about food recently which have helped me, and I think that there's there's a spiral that goes on in food, like eat the crap and then just beat the crap out of myself. And then, you know, then I'm eating to escape that feeling. So that's really helped me as I get older. But I just think there was, when I when I finished playing cricket, you know, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you can't really look back and think you could have done things differently. But I, I think that one. I've made some monumental mistakes in my life. Mm. But I... That's the thing you'd change. Yeah, that's the thing I'd change because I think that I've learned from my mistakes. Yeah, well, this is it, right? There are there are things which make us who we are today. Mm. You know, not having that extra McDonald's burger, probably not. Yeah. But, you know, there are there are often big mistakes that we make that we would never be where we are without them. Of so course, yeah. No, we don't I, want to change those No, things. and it's, you know, it's a funny one because I can go, well, I wish I'd never drunk alcohol. But I, I think I wouldn't know, the, I wouldn't be who I am had I not been yeah. on that journey. Yeah. You know? um, there's a couple, of, maybe maybe one more. I had a friend in rehab called Chef and he didn't make it in the end. He died after rehab, unfortunately. I think maybe there's a couple of times I would have told a few loved ones that I love him. You know, maybe that's a thing I would have changed. I would have just, I think I, I think I knew Chef wouldn't make it. It was his birthday the other day. We lost him four years ago, five years ago. And I think I knew he wouldn't make it. And maybe I could have just loved him a bit more, you know, or made some more time for him. Yeah. And that's a big regret of the, the, the people who are on their deathbed too. It's, yeah. it's always those intimate relationships. So yeah. A couple of those, my sister died too, my mum died. And I think I probably would have just, and, but that motivates me now to be, pretty pretty affectionate in, in with my intimate circles you know, yeah you know, try and really value the people closest to me because we're all going to die yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> there's only one certainty and i think you know sometimes it's the and again goes back to vulnerability and, and helping others the ability to share that message because you've missed out on it yeah. and then 10 people who listen to that and then at least in a utilitarian sense you know the greatest good for the greatest amount of people Definitely you missing out on some of those things but telling others so that they don't yeah. can have the bigger impact right Perfect. Simon my last one for you go on 16 year old Simon walks in the room right now what are you telling him I mean you know this is a this is this is my this is my belief and this is so I'll keep this from people but I would tell him that there's a God and that God loves you and that there's a plan and you're a part of that plan and sometimes a part of God's plan is to go low and just because you're going to go low, and you you might be going low, don't don't resist. And even when you hate yourself, God loves you, and it's all it's all divine, right? Like it's all divine, and in the lowest place, God's with you. Um, and trust trust the flow of that. You know, I think because it would be easy for me to talk to my 16 year old self and go, don't lie, cheat, steal. But my fundamental knowing now is that. Is that I'm a part of something that's that's moving on the earth, that's a part of a solution. And in the grand scheme of things, 30 years of a life is nothing. And I truly feel that my lifetime has taken the perfect course. And so it would be something like, no matter what it looks like, you're always right where you need to be from the broader perspective, you know, and to trust that and and to trust your distrust of that, you know, and just really trust and it's something I'll come back to now too because I work with people in really dark places and sometimes I have to think, you know, maybe maybe they have to go on a bit of a journey, mm. you know, don't, not to rescue them too much. Maybe a part of the divine plan is that people need to go low. We can look out on the society too. You know, maybe in a hundred years' time, this society is truly awakened, truly, right? And maybe a part of that awakening is this incredible, maybe all the suicides are a part of that awakening. And it's a it's a... It's a faithful and hopeful way of looking at things, but it's kind of been my experience, you know, so I'll probably say that. Incredible. 
Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much. Anything that you want to plug before we go? Meditate. <laughs> Everybody meditate. No, um, what do I want to plug? No, look, I, I think that the main, you know, if anybody is struggling and if anybody's going through anything, and even if there's a great saying, which is kill Godzilla when it's an egg, right? And and people know when they've got their little eggs of Godzilla's. And I think that, you know, you're, you're, you're a good testament to this. I am just... It's always the plug, isn't it? It's like just reach out, reach out, and and my my new thing that I'm getting with reach out, don't re reach out to someone you trust, you know. Me, don't just reach out to anybody. Go to a trusted friend and and reach out if anybody's struggling, because um, you know I think that's the, that's the catalyst for change. Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure.